You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning. Welcome to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Father Greg Sackowitz, the rector of Holy Cathedral. The time is exactly 8.01 on this morning here in Chicago. Very sad time for our country. Our phone number, 312-255-8408. And we are very honored and privileged to have with us for the first half hour of Catholic Chicago. Cardinal Blaise Supich joins us by phone during a time when our country is struggling to get through a pandemic and the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. Cardinal Subich, good morning and welcome. Thank you, Father Greg, for having me. Oh, thank you for being here with us. I know it's been a busy time for you, a very difficult time. And maybe you want to just start off with this question for you, and that is, uh, you know, what are your thoughts and reactions with what's going on the last several days? You know, just maybe your initial comments. Well, as I mentioned in my uh, statement, but also in the article that's going to be uh, published in the uh, Chicago Catholic, uh, this is really an opportunity, I think, for all of us to uh, make sure that we, first of all, cleanse any uh, virus of um, racism in our hearts, because that's where it starts. And it's important for us to take responsibility individually, but then also as a nation, uh, we're better than this, and um, the outrage and uh, hurt and anger uh, that people have at the death of George Floyd, the way it was done so very casually, as always, life didn't matter, um, is really uh, something that is shared by people across all, all racial lines. And I think it's it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on that. And we also, I think, have to um, see how is it that we're going to come together as a nation. Yesterday I was with uh, a group of African-American leaders uh, with the governor, and I, I was really touched by the, the strong voices of young black men who were getting up in front of the media and saying to uh, uh, people who were doing the looting, um, you are damaging our neighborhoods. Uh, one of them told me that uh, his grandmother can't get medication anymore because wow. the drugstore is gone in the neighborhood. Uh, mm. Grocery stores and so on where people depended on for day-to-day activity. And so th- there really is, I think, an opportunity for us, uh, yes, to, uh, to ask people to demonstrate peacefully, as most of them are, but also to realize that we have a lot of cleanup to do. And we have, we have, well, there is a pathway forward. We can bring about equality in this country. Uh, it's a long overdue, but we have to roll up our sleeves and be ready to do that. And you hit on so many good points yesterday during the uh, press conference. And, you know, I'm all for peaceful protesting. You know, that's the First Amendment. We have that right. And that can be a strong voice in there. But I'm always saying to people, there's no room for destruction and looting, you know, as we move forward. Now, as the leader of the Catholic Church in the Archdiocese, as the Archbishop, what can our church do in times like these, in terms of reaching out to people? Well, we already, of course, are doing a lot. I was just talking to a number of the pastors who are uh, 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 
the ones who are sponsoring uh, food pantries around uh, the, the archdiocese, uh, and also with Catholic Charities, they're doing quite a bit as well. I think we have to meet the immediate needs right now of people uh, where within these areas where there are no grocery stores anymore. We have to beef up our food pantries. Uh, we're asking people to help uh, donate to Catholic Charities, the emergency fund of the Archdiocese, to make sure that people do not go hungry in our city. But we also, I think, uh, need to uh, stand with our people in this moment and uh, advocate for the justice that's needed to overcome uh, the social ills that uh, really are at the base of this moment huh? and the outrage that's there and the reason why people are protesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just cannot raise our voices. We have to have solid uh, pieces of legislation that bring about equality. Uh, yesterday I was asked about what is it that the church can do, and I mentioned you know, our food pantries and so on, but I also said that one of the best anti-poverty programs we have in this city and in the state is our Catholic school education. We educate many kids uh, across racial lines of uh, all faiths and none and give them an opportunity for the future. Uh, Our Catholic schools are at the forefront of ending poverty in pockets of neighborhoods around around, uh, the state. And uh, so I, I would just make sure that I would like to make sure that there really is equal access to quality education for young people. Say more about the Catholic Charities and the great work they have done even before the whole start of this. Well, of course, they're, they're in neighborhoods helping uh, uh, with parenting and developing parenting skills for people. The uh, work that they do in supporting those who are in recovery from addictions. Uh, we have uh, many counseling programs that uh, help with moments of domestic violence. Uh, there are, of course, uh, assistance to, to people with regard to housing and uh, job uh, relocation. Uh, the uh, uh, immediate needs that are met through uh, uh, food pantries around uh, around that are coordinated. Uh, every every uh, day we feed uh, thousands of people. Uh, I was just talking to one of the pastors who told me that he expects um, this week uh, when they open their food pantry, they'll have a thousand families come wow. for food. Uh, simply because there there are no stores. So uh, across the line, uh, what we're doing through Catholic Charities, through our parishes, through all of our agencies, uh, the work that we're doing for, at, at Mercy Home uh, that uh, mm-hmm. uh, Father Scott's doing, uh, that uh, Sister Rosemary is doing at Misericordia, uh, that, uh, that we have at Maryville, uh, all of these uh, build a social network by which uh, we're able to touch the lives of a million people every year uh, throughout the throughout the metropolitan area who are really in need, uh, and we should be proud of that, but we, we need to redouble our efforts now. So a question for you, uh, Cardinal Subich, and that is, uh, the death of George Floyd did not happen in a vacuum, but speaks to a wider, longer, long-term issue. Speak more about the social ills that you spoke about yesterday and also your comments a few minutes ago. Well, I, of course, we realize that people feel as though they don't have a place at the table, uh, not only in terms of sometimes the way that they are treated in the, in the criminal justice program, where uh, people of color are uh, prosecuted for crimes that white people are not. There seems to be an equal, uh, unequal way of justice being distributed. Mm-hmm. But there's also a, a lack of opportunity um, uh, uh, joblessness. The, the coronavirus have thrown 40 million people out of work. Majority of those people are people of color. And there are folks who now have 
uh, maybe have had some gains, but now they're, they're all lost. And so uh, there really is a sense of desperation out there on the part of people. But it's also uh, not only in terms of jobs, but it's also uh, the opportunity for uh, quality education, quality health care. Here the COVID uh, uh, virus is impacting uh, uh, black and Hispanic people mm -hmm. to a larger disproportionate uh, way than anybody else. And it's because there are underlying health concerns that have not been treated simply because people don't have access to quality health care. So we have a full range of inequality that we have to correct uh, if we're really going to uh, deal with this. Now, how do, you, uh, how do you begin addressing what you just said? Well, I think, first of all, uh, we, ha we have to have a full-blown effort in which we're going to help rebuild, especially the small businesses of people of color who, that have been damaged in, in the riots and the looting. I think we, we really have to make sure that there is, the governor is, has declared uh, the state a disaster or the Chicago area a disaster area, Cook County, and is asking for federal funds to help rebuild. We need to do that. That's, that's an immediate way. The other is that uh, we have to have ways in which people do have uh, a, a chance to, to have quality education in their neighborhoods. I've always advocated for school choice, mm -hmm. not, not, not in a way that defends the Catholic school system, but in order to leverage the great contribution the Catholic school uh, system makes in society. And so that's why we have had the tax credit scholarships. We've looked for ways in which low-income people can have a choice of, of education. Uh, that that's a big. The, the other is we have to have we have to have some sort of and they're talking about it now um, a, a rebuilding uh, of the infrastructure uh, to create some jobs uh, by uh, programs much like was done during the time of the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. We need to put people to work. We need to give them a, a sense of their dignity of work. There are too many people who are unemployed, young people who have no hope for the future. Um, and, and then I think uh, the, other, the other part of it is that w we need to um, make sure that we uh, uh, ensure that health care is a basic human right. It's not a consumer good uh, for those who are privileged to be able to afford it. Uh, it should be a basic human right. We've always said that in the church, and we have to pass uh, laws that, in fact, uh, affect that. How, how do you get at systemic change? I mean, it's almost like tackling fog. We can talk about uh, distributive justice, which is easy or easier, but just talk for a moment, Cardinal Supich, about systemic change and what that means. Well, of course, systemic change starts in the heart. Um, uh, that's why uh, I equated uh, the coronavirus with the virus of racism. Uh, it starts in each one of us, and we pass it on. Uh, we pass it on to our children. Uh, we pass it on in our homes. Uh, children don't wake up racist. Uh, they mm -hmm. learn it. And I think that we have to, we have to, uh, we have to really uh, uh, make sure that it, it has no place in our homes. The other thing is I've called for a national reconciliation. You know, uh, we have never taken account of the injury and the wound that's done to uh, black Americans and to the nation, uh, the soul of the nation, uh, through, uh, through slavery. Uh, when, when the Germans um, ended Second World War, and they saw the huge wound that Nazism has created and what it did to the Jewish people and in the, the Shoah. What they did was to have an, a, an active way in which they reconciled with the Jewish people, and they looked for ways in which there could be a real healing take place. We did this also. This was also done in South, South Africa and Rwanda. We need to take up the work of national reconciliation and reconcile our effect, the ills of slavery, which we have never taken account of, 
and, and, and held ourselves responsible for, because it has an effect even to this day. 400 years ago, when those first slave ships docked on our continent, that's when it all started, and mm-hmm. we have never healed that wound. Which I think it goes back then 400 years now. And we can talk about peaceful protests, and I was very impressed a couple of days ago with the protests started at um, Lakeshore Drive in Belmont and moved west yesterday by Wrigley Field and coming south. And but So then you look at a protest peaceful like that and then destructive violence. So and from a Catholic's perspective, from a human perspective, what is the proper response, the proper perspective we should place on the death of George Floyd? Well, I think that uh, you hit, hit it so right. Uh, this is where we need to keep the attention. But let's point out, let's be honest. Yes, there was terrible destruction, looting, and crime that went on. But the vast majority of the, of the people marching in the streets today were peaceful. Mm-hmm. And, and they, want, they want action. I'm also impressed by the fact that if you look at these crowds, they're, for the most part, young people. And they're not all just African Americans. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of white faces there. There are young Many people. Faces. There are young people today who understand that they don't want to have to revisit this same kind of violence and uproar and civil unrest uh, 20 years from now. I grew up, and you grew up in the 60s and the 70s yes. when we had a lot of civil unrest, and we thought maybe we had tackled these these problems. We have not. These young people are saying to themselves, "Are we? Is this our future?" Is this the way we're going to do this, or are we going to do something now constructive so that this does not continue? There's a great story that uh, near the cathedral, uh, a building had been vandalized terribly on Saturday night, and the owner of the building on early, early Sunday morning was cleaning up the inside of it. And this is a block from the cathedral. Some of the protesters from the night before who were protesting peacefully came over and helped him clean out the building. And he said, I, he said, Greg, I was so impressed by that. On Sunday morning, they joined me for three hours. Peaceful protesters from the night before saw the damage to my building, and they helped clean me, clean me up that morning. He said, that sticks in my mind. So just what you're saying, many, many of these people are very peaceful and want to go about it properly. We're going to go to break here, uh, Cardinal Supich. You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Father Greg Sackless and our guests for the first half hour, Cardinal Blaise Supich. Archbishop of Chicago will be back after these messages. And again, do not touch that dial. nation in our world, people of all faiths have recently been joining fervently in all kinds of prayer. They have found that coming together in prayer is a source of comfort and strength. In this spirit of unity, the Archdiocese of Chicago has introduced a call to prayer, a telephone line dedicated to prayer. If you would like to join with another person in prayer, call 312-741-3388. This line is staffed from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily with parishioners from across the Archdiocese of Chicago. These volunteers are here to listen to you, offer support, and pray with you. A call to prayer includes a 24-hour voicemail and email options as well. Experience this wonderful opportunity to join with people just like you who trust in the power of prayer. That phone number again is 312-741-3388. Let's pray together today. 
There's nothing like having a friend to talk to when things are not going well. And in these challenging days, everyone has had moments when they are discouraged, sad, or worried. Catholic Charities wants you to know that we are here. If you or someone you know would like to share your concerns with a professional, call 312-948-6951 anytime, day or night, and you will be connected with an experienced counselor who will listen without judgment and offer compassionate, confidential advice that you can trust. That phone number again is 312-948-6951. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago and WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Our phone number 312-255-8408. Time is 8.17 on this morning here in Chicago. And our guest for the first half hour is Cardinal Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Just to continue the um, conversation, Cardinal Blaise, and that is uh, the press conference yesterday with the various speakers you included, you made some great comments. I want you to maybe talk about this one line you gave yesterday. Racism is the red thread that runs through the binding that holds America back from reaching its promise, equality and justice for all. Say more about that. Well, you see that uh, the history of our country, uh, there is not an era in which racism has not held us back. Uh, When you think about uh, what happened after the Second World War with the Jim Crow laws, uh, the way people were oppressed, we had a huge migration of people coming from the south uh, into metropolitan areas here, and we were uh, then uh, not prepared for it. There were there were laws in where, which people could move and could not go until anti-segregation uh, efforts were taking place. Uh, the lack of ability to have quality education, the voting uh, su- suppression that was done and continues to be done in our country. So we see that in every age, this red thread of racism has in some way held us back. It has not allowed us in some way uh, to achieve who we are as uh, 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 people who are equal uh, with justice under the law. And uh, that, that, I think, erupts every so often uh, because people, after a while, just say, we can't take it anymore. And that's what's happening now here. There, there is a better way. Uh, mm-hmm. this, 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 we can fix this. That's the hope we have here. And I see the hope in the eyes and the, and the voices of the young people who are in the streets. As I said, there are cross-racial lines. These are well-educated young people who mm-hmm. are black and white, brown, and of every race, who are saying to themselves, we want a better future for ourselves and our children. We don't want to have to live this again in, in our lifetime. We want to deal with it. And that gives me hope. And now another line that you said in your conference yesterday was, only the hard work of familial love will set us on the path toward justice. Say more that's about right. that. Because well, I think it's a great I, line. And I use the word uh, of family. Because we have to see that we are one family. This Sunday, we're celebrating the Feast of the Trinity. The Trinity is a feast of the family. You know, we have Mother's Day and we have Father's Day, but we have Family Day, and that's Trinity Sunday. It's relationships. It's the, it's the family. It's the family of God. And, and God, in giving us his son and making us his children, his sons and daughters, giving us divine life, is really an offer to join God's family. That's the invitation. Huh? And, and that's the, that is what we should aspire to. Uh, really understanding that, in fact, we cannot claim to live the life of God if we do not claim each other as brothers and sisters. Because Jesus says, "Who are? where am I in your midst? 
I'm in the least. People in your family who are overlooked, people that you don't allow a place at the table. If you don't allow them at the place at the table, then you're not allowing me, and you cannot enjoy the family of God. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very basic, huh? Yeah, now, now, if you connect what you just said, we've been going through the last two and a half months since about March 15th, the whole COVID-19. That is, how would you now connect this racial tension we're going through with what we've been going through? I just know that people for the last two and a half months are stressed, tired, angry. And just this week, that officially today, moving to a new phase, and we've been re-locked into our homes again. So let me ask this. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the church and its many ministries? Well, I think it's for us all made, made us more creative in trying to keep people together. I'm really proud of our priests. I think our pastors have done a splendid job in trying to keep people together and, and, uh, and in some way um, united in this moment, even though they're distanced. Um, I'm getting a lot of letters of, about the Sunday Mass mm-hmm. on ABC 7, uh, on the live streaming that's taking place. Uh, a lot of people are consoled that the church is reaching out, even though we are uh, distant. But there is this uh, pent-up uh, uh, pent uh, thirst and hunger for coming together again. And that's why we're reopening our churches, uh, starting phase two, allowing a greater number of people to come to, uh, to church and keeping them safe as well. We hope that that will move forward. But no, no doubt, there is a frustration on the part of people. People, we, we're social beings. Uh, mm-hmm. we, they're, they're, we, and and that, that, so, that, that sense of wanting to live our life in society should now spur us on to make a social commitment to those who are left behind. That, that's why I think we're, where we have, to, we have to have a discussion now. Yes, we, we want to get out. We want, we want to be with others. We want to be socialize. But we also have to make now a social commitment to people who are left behind. You say that's, because, that's where uh, it has to go. I have a task force at the cathedral that has been you working to get the cathedral reopened. We were all set to open, reopen yesterday at 12 noon for prayer. I had to send out an emergency email blast to the whole faith community that we're not reopening yesterday at 12 noon. Now, people were disheartened. They understood but they're disheartened. So now there's been just a setback before we reopen. And then along those lines is, you know, talk about the wonderful response within the Catholic Church during the pandemic, pandemic as you have mentioned, and now moving forward. Uh, you know, maybe just talk for a moment about the signs of hope. We can talk about what is not happening. But as you mentioned, many great things are happening from Catholic schools to online ministries and masses. And I think you've been surprised by the number of letters you have received with some wonderful positive comments. Well, that's true. And the other thing is, I know that, uh, for instance, uh, I'm proud, like I said, of our pastors, but also of our teachers and our principals. Mm-hmm. We, ha- we, have, we have kept in touch with all of our students through e-learning, and we're very proud of that. I know other school districts have struggled with it. We saw a report in the paper the other day that um, 60% of kids, only about 60% of kids in public schools, uh, uh, had a daily contact uh, through e-learning. Uh, we, we, we've been able to uh, keep all of our kids uh, involved in, in e-learning, and I think we want to make sure they don't fall behind. Uh, so I'm proud of that. I'm proud also of um, the way that um, uh, many people have stepped forward now to be volunteers. I, you know that yourself over oh, the sure. cathedral. Uh, there are folks who are saying, yes, I will come forward and I will help sanitize. I will help usher. I will help uh, monitor uh, folks who come into church as we reopen them. Uh, 
Uh, so uh, people are good, and yes. they really want to. They really want to help. We just have to make sure that we give them the opportunity and structure the help in a way that's going to do some good. That that's really what we have. That's what leadership is about. We've had over forty people from the cathedral step forward to do just exactly what you said. Now. You have had this, and I've had it also, people saying, even a month ago, six weeks ago, open the church, open the church, things aren't so bad. But the thing you have always kept stressing from day one is the safety of people, the safety of people. So maybe just a moment of conversation on the safety of reopening our churches at the proper time. Well, let's just be honest. This is a a very dangerous uh, contagion. People die, and we see this. 110,000 people now in this country have died. We have had uh, millions of cases uh, here and around the world. Uh, This is still very dangerous, and the contagion can erupt again. Uh, I know that there are people who are protesting uh, that we're we're going slow. Uh, These people, however, are loud, but they're not large. And I think the vast majority of the people we're hearing for are saying, we support you. You You have our health. Uh, as your priority, which it should be. And so we are glad that you are taking your time and being deliberate. Let's remember, the the state did not close the churches or the schools. I did. We did in the archdiocese. We made the decision before anybody else did on March 13th to go ahead and close everything down because we saw this coming. And we had as our priority the safety of our people. And it was it was that initial that initial uh, action on our part that I think also gave courage to others to to uh, uh, close down to have the shutdown. So we're not being dictated by the state at all. Mm-hmm. We're cooperating with the state. We want to we we're listening to the healthcare uh, professionals, but we took the decision ourselves because we made the priority the safety of our people. And uh, that's what I would say to people who are who are upset that we're not going quicker. Uh, uh, I have the responsibility, we have the responsibility as pastors to protect the safety of people, and that's what we're doing. And what really scares me is uh, an individual can be COVID-19 positive, feel terrific, show no symptoms, and put me on a ventilator by coming in contact. That's right. And when people say, well, I want my freedom, I'm going to ask them, what do, you, what do you say about your freedom when, in fact, you have a tube stuffed down your throat yeah. that allows you to breathe? Yeah. Then, then, then where is your freedom? Yeah, um, and I, I think what really I think you know scares me is that uh, we're dealing with an enemy we can't see now. My big fear with all these uh, protests the last several days across the country is: Are we going to now spike in the next two weeks? Because there's been very little social distancing the last couple of weeks. You would think by watching on TV, this whole thing is over. Well, the thing is this: Let's remember the outbreaks in Spain and Italy, especially northern Italy, came about when in fact people together came together at a soccer game. In, in Lombardy, and that's where it—that's where the outbreak happened. That's where it happened, and how it was spread so very quickly between Spain and Italy. It was that event. We could see the very same thing of an outbreak and a real spike here as a result of this. I had not heard that story about that a soccer game between Spain and Italy. That's fascinating. And there's just in the last minute or two. Any closing comments for all our listeners? A sign of hope in the Lord. A moment of peace. Just uh, any closing thoughts, Cardinal Sulich? Well, we're, we're a great country. We, yes. have, we have wonderful people, and I'm seeing that time and again. Let's, let's, in fact, be encouraged. Let's do our part. Let's make sure that we talk to our children about uh, the racial inequality, the history of what's happened in, in this country, and that we want to offer them a better future. Uh, 
These are very big problems, but there are fixes, and we can do it if we come together and take up this uh, challenge together. That, I think, can be our finest moment. They talk about the people who responded during the Second World War as the greatest generation. Why shouldn't we want to be the greatest generation now that fixes the problem of the historical problem of racism in our country. That would be a wonderful legacy to leave uh, to our children and grandchildren. And you have done a marvelous job being in the forefront, a real leader during the whole coronavirus and now with this whole racial tension. So I want to thank in a very special way Cardinal Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago, for joining us. I know, Cardinal Supich, you've been keeping an incredibly busy schedule. Our prayers are with you, and God bless you for the great work you're doing. And uh, it's a joy sharing the Lord's ministry with you. And uh, have a blessed day, and I'll be seeing you very shortly. Thank you, Father Greg. And to our listeners, it's 829. Who's listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ. Father Greg Zachowitz, our phone number 312-255-8408. Be back after these messages, and again, do not touch that dial. 